So this morning, uh, just a quick question for you. Um, Do you like to surprise people? Yes, some of you do, some of you don't. Uh, Man, that used to be what I lived for. My poor wife uh, went through many years of abuse because I loved to scare her. Oh, I loved it. I dreamed about it. I dreamed of ways I could scare her. I can remember one time when we were first married, I went inside of our food pantry and I shut the door behind me and there was just room enough in between the shelves and the door that I could get it shut. Now, I promise you this, I could not shut that door today because the door's broken. I don't know what y'all were thinking, but nevertheless... I waited in that pantry for like 45 minutes. My wife had no idea where I was at, and I was just in there praying, Oh God, oh God, let her open this door. And finally she opened it. I probably took several years off of her life with that, but uh, I just used to love to surprise people. So this morning I believe that all of us like surprises in that uh, they're good surprises. Christmas literally is full of surprises. Folks, that's one of the reasons why we wrap the presents. Amen? So that we can take them in and give them to somebody. They have no idea what it is that they're holding on their lap, you know. And preferably that's not a car or anything. But they're holding this present, this gift on their lap. They don't know what it is. And, you know, you've kept it from them and kept it from them. My kids were the absolute worst at keeping secrets from each other because most of the time they knew what each other's gifts were because we shopped with different ones of them and... Oh, my kids, they would bribe one another. So I got one child would just tell. He didn't even need to be bribed. So, but that's what Christmas is. It's surprises. You ever get one of those surprises? You ever got a good surprise for Christmas? You ever got a bad surprise for Christmas? Yeah. How many of y'all have ever gotten soap on a rope for Christmas? Bad surprise. Over the years, I've gotten a lot of surprises, good surprise, bad surprise. And, you know, kids many times, you know, they're surprised whenever they're opening their presents because they've said, you know, I've got to have a PlayStation 4, I've got to have a Nintendo this, I've got to have this. And they open up their Christmas presents and it's like pajamas or underwear, you know. I I love to surprise my kids like that. So that brings me to my text this morning, and I would just tell you that Christmas... The very first Christmas had its surprises. And so this morning we're going to look at really five of those surprises that these first century Jews got whenever Jesus was born. And so let's look at our text this morning. This is Luke chapter 1 and it's verse 26 is where I want to begin reading. It says, Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom. There will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? 
The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One is, born, is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this now the sixth month of, of her who has, was called barren. For with God nothing is impossible." So this is the story of the Annunciation. This is, this is Mary, this unsuspecting teenage girl that literally, she, she, her world was turned upside down with this announcement right here. I mean, what a surprise. But it was not only a surprise to her, but it was a surprise to the whole Jewish nation. So let's look at some of these surprises that I believe took place the very first Christmas. I believe the first one that we can look at is who ended up being the parents of this Son of God, this Most High, this King of Kings? Who was it that ended up being the parents? I mean, suppose that you and I are, let's just suppose you were given the job of selecting the parents for the Messiah. You were given the job of selecting the parents for the King of Kings. I wonder if you would just be honest. I have an idea that if whether it's you or me, we might not have chosen Mary and Joseph to be these parents. Are you all with me? Maybe not in a million years would we have chosen them. We'd have probably went around looking for some wealthy parents, some educated parents, I mean, somebody that's really, uh, you know, mature, people of culture, people of influence, so that the Messiah would be brought up the right way. You know what I'm saying? Lots of opportunity, the right education, trained right, all of these things. But folks, i got to be honest with you. We weren't picking the parents. God was. And I have an idea if it would have been me, I would have been assuming a lot of things about who needed to be Jesus' parents. I mean, for heaven's sake, the, the Magi or the wise men, they made an assumption about Jesus. They, they thought this king is going to be born, so on and so forth. So they came to Jerusalem. And where was it that they went the very first place they stopped? Exactly, Starbucks. And so... Uh, I'm joking. There wasn't there wasn't a Starbucks in Jerusalem at that time, but 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 they went straight to the palace. They had heard about this king being born, so they go to the palace looking for a king because where where is he who is born the king? That's what they said. It was a normal response, probably a very obvious place to look. Royalty begets royalty, and this obvious place to look for this king is in the palace. But again, I'll say it. They weren't picking the parents of Jesus as well. Mary and Joseph were God's choices for parents. You see, the first Christmas presented this incredible surprise. God selected these two most unlikely people, this teenage girl named Mary, this poor blue-collar worker named Joseph. Folks, Mary and Joseph were so poor that they couldn't even afford the right sacrifice whenever they had to go sacrifice. They had to, they had to pick two turtle doves, the cheapest of all of the sacrifices on the list. Joseph was just a carpenter, and I'll be honest with you, I think, I think if Joseph was alive today and he was living in Nazareth, we'd probably call Nazareth a backwoods community. Are y'all there? <laughs> That's where we live. Okay, never mind. I'm just joking. We're cultured here on Skeena where I live at. Nobody knows where Skeena is. I mean, Nathaniel said this of Nazareth. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
can anything good. It was a backwoods place. And I mean, of all the unlikely people, Jesus, his parents were picked by God, Mary and Joseph. Second thing, I believe that Jesus being born was perhaps a tiny bit surprising. Because think about this startling fact. The pregnant virgin. Are you all there with me? You know, an oxymoron is one of those things whenever two or more contradictory terms are combined, like a deafening silence. Or, my favorite, the jumbo shrimp. That's what we have whenever we come to the birth of Christ. The virgin birth. That's a shocker. I mean, how can a virgin be giving birth? How can there be a a pregnant virgin? But yet, that's one of these surprises that took place at Jesus' birth. Because what I know just from the very limited scientific uh, 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 things that I have learned is it takes two sides of the DNA for a a human being to be present in the womb of a a woman. Are you all there with me? But this is what the Bible reports. This incredible fact that she had never been intimate with a man. Up until the time that Jesus was born, she was still a virgin. And you've got to ask yourself, how in the world could that happen? That is a surprise. I'm going to tell you, whenever Mary was with child and she's wandering around the streets of Nazareth, I really believe that there were probably people that were lifting an eyebrow. Are you all there with me? I imagine that, that the news had gotten out that crazy Mary says that she's expecting the Son of God. That she was moved upon by the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. And she conceived in her womb the literal child of God. Oh yeah, right. She would have made the front page of the National Enquirer if that was still, if that was available back then. So you look at this and you begin to think about, I mean, this, she is with child, she is a virgin, but you've got to begin to look at what it was that was in her womb. And let me just read this for you very quickly. The architect of the universe was in her womb. The one in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God. That one, that word fashioned the sun and he heated it to 27 million degrees above Fahrenheit to govern the day. The one who molded a cold shining ball 2,160 miles in diameter to govern the night. The one who also made the stars, a hundred billion of them in the Milky Way and hundreds of billions more in hundreds of millions of galaxies. That's Jesus. He spoke six sextillion, 588 quintillion short tons of elements into existence and he called it Earth. Then he set its footing and laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. He shut up 132 million square miles of sea behind their doors. He entered the storehouses of snow snow and hell and went to the places where lightning is dispensed and the east winds are scattered over the earth. Then one day this almighty God compressed himself down to a divine cell and fused it with the ovum of a Jewish teenager. Again and again this God's cells divided and holy and the holy fetus grew. That's who was in 
Mary's womb. At last the moment came of truth and the holy child was born to the singing of an infinite number of angels. Do you not think that heaven was on fire with singing? They called his name Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You see, the birth of Jesus was not just another baby. I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, there was a babe born in this stable and he was laying in a manger, but you've got to understand this. The birth of Jesus wasn't just another baby. It, it doesn't seem so special until you find out whose son that baby really is. So you've got these two things. You've got, you've got the way Jesus was conceived. You've got these surprising things that, that took place. But the third one is this. It kind of shocked me as to who the birth announcements went out to. I mean, I can remember one time I went to the mailbox and I've got a good friend. His name is Steve Gladen and his wife. And, and uh, they were out on the West Coast and uh, they had a new baby girl and they sent us a birth announcements. And we were really glad to get it because we knew that Lisa was expecting and we were waiting any day to hear. And we got the birth announcement and they named their little girl Eureka. I just... I picked it up and I said, Eureka, that's a vacuum cleaner. That's a, that's something that they have in, you know, gold rushes. And so I thought, Steve and Lisa, have you lost your minds? And then I read the announcement again and they named her Erica, not Eureka. But anyway, it wasn't their fault. It was mine. But you think of where the birth announcements went out as Jesus, this babe was literally laying in a manger. It's surprising. You see, because it wasn't to the notable. It wasn't to the influential people of that day and time. Now, listen to this. One hour after Queen Elizabeth's third child was born, 128 cables were sent out to all parts of the world. This is before text messaging, so you young people just... just this, this is before telephones, actually. Government offices stayed open all night. The personnel on, on night duty, they were doubled. All the dignitaries on the planet were notified. And so now if the Queen of England made her child's birth such a big splash, it would kind of just figure that the God of this universe would have made the birth of His Son a big splash. Are you all there with me? I'm just thinking. I'm thinking that the birth of Jesus Christ, God would have let the whole world know. If it were me, I think I would have sent all the angels knock on doors. God's Son was just born. Jump up and get out in the streets and celebrate. I mean, at least you could have notified all the notables, you know, the uh, chosen people, if you would, the great theologians, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the kings and queens of that day. You might even you know, notify the emperor of Rome, maybe even Herod, and, and let them know that they'd better bow their knee because the true king has come. But you know, that's not how it took place. God publicized the birth of his son way differently than perhaps we would have. Because who was it that God went to on that fateful night and reported the birth of his son? He went to these folks called shepherds. 
And folks, I just got to make this point here. Shepherds weren't the most influential people of their day and time. As a matter of fact, they were among the lowest of the lowest class people in their day. Most people in society looked down on them because... Many of them were migrants. They came from other places to, the, to Israel. They ate. They slept with the animals. Probably they smelled like the animals. And I'm just going to tell you, if you've ever gotten close enough to a sheep to get sheep all over you, they stink. So what did people think about shepherds? Shepherds, in the day and time that Jesus was born, were considered unclean. Literally. Icky. For some of you. Ooh. Nasty. They were looked upon with suspicion because of their poverty. If something went missing, guess who got blamed for it? Many times it was attributed to the shepherds. If anything got broken in our house, we had one kid that we blamed it all on one and now that he's moved out and things still get broken i'm worried for myself you couldn't trust the word of a shepherd they weren't allowed to be witnesses in court because their word was considered untrustworthy the talmud stated this no help should be given to heathen and the shepherds shepherds were rough they were uneducated men. They were looked on as backward by other members of society. But yet God went to them first. I'm, I'm blown away. I mean, honestly. I just, I just think, God, why would you have done that? You see, if the example of God going to the shepherds tells us anything. It tells us that God doesn't value money. He doesn't value education or intelligence. He doesn't value power. You see, the Savior's house here, it, it's open to the humble. It's open to the poor. This encourages everybody to accept uh, uh, common, ordinary people like me. I'm thankful for that. Even sinners are welcome. They'll just come and repent. They're welcome. Actually, I believe all of humanity is loved and invited by God to be part of his family. So who he went to, kind of shocking. All of Israel knew that the Messiah, whenever he came and he was born, that he would be a deliverer. The Deliverer. The Messiah. They were all looking forward to the Messiah. So, the way that Jesus came and the way that He delivered Israel, I really believe was a huge surprise to the whole Jewish nation. You see, the Jewish people, their conception of the Deliverer, the Messiah, 
was totally different than what they've seen in Jesus. In fact, there's people today that are alive and well that are Jewish people that believe that Jesus was not the Messiah because he didn't do anything they thought the Messiah was going to do. He's, he's gone from this planet, and there are people that are still looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. They're still believing that there's somebody going to come after Jesus. And I just got to tell them something. There ain't nobody coming after Jesus because he was the Messiah. But you see, what happened is whenever he came, they had this conception of how it was that the Messiah was going to deliver them. Because you have to understand now, they're under Roman occupation and they hated being governed by Rome. But see, the conception of 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 the Messiah or the deliverer in the day of Jesus would be that he would be, first of all, a descendant of David. He'd be given power, this heavenly power, and he would save Israel from all of its oppressors. He would literally come and sit on his father David's throne and rule forever. This deliverer would probably be delivering uh, Israel more than likely by military power. He was going to raise up a great army, and man, they were going to just crush Rome like a bug. Maybe he was going to have divine power. Kind of like whenever Elijah was on the Mount Carmel and he called down fire and it licked up the offering and licked up the water. Are you all there? They thought, well, maybe he's going to come with that kind of power. Maybe he's going to have the power of Moses. You all remember all the stuff that, that God did through Moses. But they ultimately knew that whenever the deliverer came, that the armies of Rome were going to be overthrown their empires literally decimated by this divine power, by this military power. And Israel would be the one who reigns over the conquered nations that Jesus, or excuse me, that the Messiah would bring about. So they were, they were ready for this Messiah. They were ready for this delivery. Newsflash. Newsflash right here. Scrolling across the screen. What Israel didn't expect was this. Jesus was born 2,000 years ago in a stable in Bethlehem because Jesus came here to die. It's crazy whenever you begin to think about that. How different was the idea of deliverance that the Jewish nation held to the idea that God held. God, yes, He's going to deliver the, the, the nation of Israel. He's going to deliver all mankind through the life and, and the death of Jesus Christ. But it's so different than what man planned. Instead, the demonic forces, the invisible forces of hell, they were the first ones to be overthrown. You realize how much power that Satan had prior to Jesus coming on this planet. He was literally the God of this planet. He was the king of this planet. Everything that this planet was about, he ruled it. But Jesus came here and the Bible says that he literally descended into the bowels of the earth and he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave away from Satan. You see, before Jesus came, death had a sting. If you died, I'm telling you, it was bad news. But you see, today, because Jesus took away the the keys of death, we don't no longer have to feel the sting of death. You see, listen, if I'm up here preaching this morning and I just all of a sudden conk out and I'm gone, man, please do not grieve for me. Don't say, poor pastor died. You should be, hallelujah, he died. Not that way that you're thinking. 
But understand this, for me to be absent from this body is to be present with Jesus Christ. Death no longer has a sting for me. Woo, man, that's good preaching. You see, that's what Jesus did. He overthrown these demonic evil forces. Sin, he took authority over sin. And the only way it could happen is if through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Literally, as a representative of the human race, God removed the obstacle of sin. He removed the obstacle of the grave. And He gave humanity the possibility of salvation. See, it's possible that the whole world would get saved if they would just recognize Jesus as Savior and confess their sins and just get a hold of Him. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the gospel of the cross was foolishness to the Jews. It's foolishness. This is crazy. This is crazy. They literally, the Jewish people in that day and time, considered it a scandal to preach the Messiah has died on the cross like a criminal. You see, because everybody was hailing him as Messiah. Y'all remember the uh, Palm Sunday as he rode into town? They're all going, you know, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're all excited about this because they believed he was going to ride right into the capital there. And he's going to walk right up and just dethrone all the people that need to be dethroned. And he was going to set up his kingdom right there and then. But you see, folks, it it didn't go just exactly like they thought. And so a few days, he was literally taken outside the city limits and he was crucified up on a hill called Golgotha. And he died a criminal's death up there. And so for anyone to come along and say, that was the Messiah right there that was hanging on that cross. I mean, it was a scandal. People go, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. You're crazy. You're a nut job. But the only way that Jesus' mission could be accomplished is by him literally taking the world's sin upon himself and dying for every one of us. I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus did not come to teach, although he taught a lot of good things. I mean, he taught some great things. But teaching wasn't his purpose for coming. You see, if he had come to teach, he would have probably established some fancy schmancy university somewhere, and Jesus would have lived to a ripe old age. Y'all there with me? I'll be honest with you, Jesus didn't come to heal either. Now, hang on, let me finish. Although he healed many, 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 many people. You see, if Jesus' primary reason for coming was to come here to heal, he would have probably established some hospital somewhere and he would have probably lived to a ripe old age. But you see, that wasn't the reason why Jesus came. You see, um, Jesus didn't come to establish some kind of you know, uh, ethical or moral system for this planet to function by? Because if he had had, if if that's the reason he would have come, he would have probably put on some kind of judge's robe and established some kind of Supreme Court that ruled over the whole globe, and he would have lived to a ripe old age. But this is the fact of the matter. Jesus came to die. That's it. You see, I know whenever Mary took that baby into her arms the very first time, there's no way she could have ever looked into the eyes of that little baby and ever believed for a moment that the reason that baby was born in that manger, that I mean, in that stable that night, was so he could die. No mother would ever want that. But yet, Jesus' father knew the moment that he was born 
that he began walking down a path that ultimately led him to his death. You see, the fact of the matter is Jesus is the only one that can save us from, his, from our sins. The veins of Jesus Christ literally had the blood of God flowing through them. And because Jesus was God, you see, He could reach up and take the hand of the Holy Father. And because He was also all man, He could reach down and take the hand of of all of us who were sinful creatures. And He could bring God and us together to be reconciled. The Bible says there is one God and one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. Peter said salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. i got to tell you, folks, whenever you begin to look at the surprises of Christmas, this, this is a big one right here. He came to die. He came to deliver humanity with his own death. The last surprise here this morning is... Uh, Maybe not so much the surprise of Christmas. But it's one of those surprises, I think, that I would not want anyone to be surprised by. As I told you, it was just such a delight for me to scare my wife. I just love to scare her. Loved to. Loved it. Our bedroom one time in one of the houses we lived in was really, really dark. And... uh I think there was only one window and we had shades over it because it faced the road. And I used to just go in the bedroom at night. She'd already be in bed and I would just turn out the lights, close the door, and she couldn't see anything in there because it was pitch dark. And she just knew I was kind of slinking around the bedroom somehow or another, fixing to grab her. And she'd just start, stop it, I can see you. I knew she couldn't. Stop it. She'd start throwing stuff off the bed. Here come a pillow launched by me, you know. Another pillow, a shoe, three or four hammers. No, I was just joking. That wasn't in the bed. I just love to scare her, love to surprise her. So many times I would just stand in one place and then finally I'd turn the lights back on. She says, stop, don't do that to me anymore. And then I got saved. <laughs> Haven't done it to her in a long time. I just wouldn't want anyone in this room, or perhaps, let me expand that, I really wouldn't want anybody surprised like this last surprise. Jesus is coming back one of these days. And I'm just going to tell you, there's going to be a lot of people surprised if they don't make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to say, if Jesus came back today to receive his church, this boy right here would not be one bit surprised. I'm just looking for a seat on the bus. Are you all there with me? I mean, I, 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 I would not be surprised at all if Jesus came back, because I believe through studying the Word of God that we indeed are living in the last days of the last days. I believe that. I believe that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. Any moment. There's so many prophecies that have been fulfilled that God said would be fulfilled, and now I believe there's nothing that is holding Him back from coming. See, the Jews... I talked about their position of the Messiah a little bit earlier and, you know, how they thought about the Messiah. They weren't all wrong on their idea uh, that the Messiah was going to come in power because I will tell you this, Jesus is coming in power. He's going to come back not like he came as a little innocent infant 
born into the stable and laid in a manger in Bethlehem. He's going to come back. In fact, if you begin to think about where is Jesus right now, well, the the Bible tells us that the child of Bethlehem isn't in the manger anymore. I mean, a lot of times, that's where we we see the baby in the manger. I'll be honest with you, I think all of these nativity scenes need to have an empty manger. I'm just telling you, I just think that because that baby is not in that manger anymore. If you got a baby in a manger, don't go home and throw it out, okay? It's okay. It's okay if you have one. But I'm just saying that a lot of times people say, oh, well, he's still in the manger. He ain't in the manger no more. Ain't no baby in the manger. He's, he's not in the carpenter shop with his father, uh, Joseph. He's not out healing the sick. He's not out preaching the gospel to the poor. He's not on the cross anymore. Come on. There's a lot of statues and little things you can hang around your neck that portray Jesus on the cross. And i got to tell you, He's not on the cross anymore. Ain't on it. That cross is empty. They took Him down and He ain't on the cross anymore. He's not the suffering Savior on that cross anymore. And let me just tell you this, and now I'll preach this again in a few months, but He ain't in the tomb either. I'll be able to speak in a moment. He's not in the tomb either. The atheists and the doubters, they wish he was still in the tomb, but he ain't. Because Jesus has risen from the dead and he is alive forevermore. And so if you ask the question, well, where is Jesus right now? The Bible says that he has ascended up to the right hand of the Father. And he reigns supreme over everything. Woo! But that's not the end of the story, you see. Christ, last surprise. Let me just read you a little bit of it. This is John on the Isle of Patmos. Says uh, God gives him a vision of what's going to take place in a few years. He says, "I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which he strikes down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter, and he treads." the winepress of of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, that's the way Jesus is coming back. He's coming back as a triumphant victor. He's coming back as the King. He's coming back as the Lord of everything. But I'll tell you this. A few... Wednesday nights ago, I taught this to the young people. Jesus coming back to get his church the rapture, which is a little bit different from what I just read. But he's coming back to get his church in the in the clouds. And one of the things we got to do is we got to be ready for that coming. This is one time you don't want to be caught by surprise. I'm telling you, it's one time you do not want to be caught by surprise. I will tell you this wholeheartedly. I do not believe the world was ready for the birth of the Messiah whenever he came the first time. I think it caught the world completely off guard. But this is my question to you. Will you be ready whenever he comes a second time? It's simple. Will you be like all the Jewish leaders and priests and Herod, totally unprepared for his coming? 
And Jared, if you'll come and help me close this tonight, this morning, I, I've, got a, I've got a little poem that I vacillated back and forth whether or not I was going to read it, but I believe that it is very appropriate here, and I've got it printed, and so I, I believe, just, just be real careful to pay attention to the words. "'Twas the night before Jesus came, and all through the house, not a creature was praying, not one in the house. Their Bibles were laying on the shelf without care in hopes that Jesus would not come there. The children were dressing to crawl into bed, not one ever kneeling or bowing a head. And mom in her rocker with baby on her lap was watching the late show while I took a nap. When out of the east there arose such a clatter, I sprang to my feet to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. When what to my wondering eyes should appear but angels proclaiming that Jesus was here. With a light like the sun sending forth a bright ray, I knew in a moment this must be the day. The light of his face made me cover my head. It was Jesus returning just like he said. And though I possessed worldly wisdom and wealth, I cried when I saw him in spite of myself. In the book of life, which he held in his hand, was written the name of every saved man. He spoke not a word as he searched for my name. When he said, it's not here, my head hung in shame. The people whose names had been written with love he gathered to take him, them to his Father above. With those who were ready, he rose without a sound, while all the rest were left standing around. I fell to my knees, but it was too late. I had waited too long and thus sealed my fate. I stood and I cried as they rose out of sight. Oh, if only I had been ready tonight. In the words of this poem, the meaning is clear. The coming of Jesus is drawing near. There's only one life, and when it comes the last call, we'll find the Bible was true after all.